0: Who said that? That sounds like a Linda Reed comment. Still missing, huh? Well, there's someone else who's pregnant, too. Well, the second time, let's start guessing now. Patrick and Jennifer Mahoney. So there's Jennifer back there. That's one way to build a church. (laughs) Let me tell you. One thing this church is doing, the couples who can are following the example of the senior pastor. (laughs) So this is exciting. Before you as you open your Bibles this morning to John three sixteen, I want to make a couple of preparatory comments before we begin. So this doesn't count, Jose. (laughs) It's been so exciting. During the last several weeks, as we have been able to recognize the work of God's grace in raising up those who would serve the needs of the kingdom through this church. And so over the last several weeks, you remember... We have been recognizing and approbating those who have been leading. And it's been a wonderful thing. But I do know that we would be remiss if we didn't recognize a central truth here. And I know we recognize it, but at least we want to make sure we do. <clears throat> and that is this. The church is well led. The church is well cared for. Because the Holy Spirit has given us a senior pastor who is uniquely equipped and gifted. Several problems on several areas, but don't get the idea the guy is without fault. Ooh. Because I haven't been fired shows you that he doesn't have all wisdom. <laughs> but I believe the Holy Spirit would be somewhat grieved. i I'm, I'm serious. If we don't recognize that where we are, it's certainly God's work. But God's work always comes through a vessel. Always. It's not just there. And so I believe it would be appropriate just to say thank you this morning to Keith Collins. Would you do that? <clears throat> <clears> Thank <throat> you, <laughs> Said he didn't just understand last week a little nod. So this time, Jose, do it. <clears throat> okay. Let's turn to John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You remember where we have been. Jesus spending a nice evening at home with the disciples. About 7:30, 8 o'clock at night after dinner, someone knocks on the door. It's Nicodemus. Oh, my word. What is Nicodemus doing here? He is one of the top guys in Jerusalem. You know, he's probably the great teacher of Israel during those days. What is he doing here? Nicodemus comes on in and starts talking to Jesus. And you remember the conversation centers around one issue, primarily. Nicodemus If you want to see the kingdom of God, even you, even you, this priest, this teacher, this great man of Judaism, even you must be born again. So they discuss this for 15 verses. And then we come to the verses this morning which... Or the crescendo of what is being said. And let's read them together. God's motive, God's reason, God's power in us being born again. For God so loved the world. Say it with me. That He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but should have eternal life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Make sure you memorize these two verses. I think if any verses encapsulate the gospel... Most succinctly, it's these two verses. Here you have, in these two verses, four major truths about God's love. Now, you know, when you come to a section of Scripture like this, it is an enormous difficulty to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit as what to emphasize, because there is an entire Bible to emphasize in these two verses. And we don't have time to begin in Genesis 1 all the way through the end of Revelation. So we'll just hit a speck, hopefully, of what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us today. There are four things I believe the Lord wants to emphasize this morning. For God so loved, the specificity of God's love, the world, the object of God's love, That He gave the intensity of God's love. His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. The result of God's love. Oh yes, there are many more things we could put in here, but we don't have the time. Father, more than anything else, would You this morning for those who have never experienced Your love, hit them like a freight train and overwhelm them as only You can and only You do. And Father, for the rest, Father, would You give us a renewed and invigorated and enlarged or more powerful more effective experience of your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. I suppose if there is anything about this verse that people consider when they hear, for God so loved the world. Don't you get that warm and fuzzy feeling? (laughs) It's it's, it's a verse that anybody and everybody, notwithstanding who, what, where, when, everybody believes they can get themselves around this verse. Oh, for God, so love the world. And yet, this verse isn't given to be fuzzy, although we should get fuzzy over it if we understand and receive it rightly. But I believe these verses are the most challenging and at the same time the most scandalous verses ever written by the pen of man. I don't have time to go into some of why I say the scandal. I shared that the other day with someone. What are you studying? I said, John 3 16. Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) I said, the problem is it's a scandalous verse. Why? Why? It's scandalous and it's challenging because of the truth of what's in it. Not because of what we say what's in it. So let's talk about the love of God this morning. First thing, the love of God is very specific. You see what the word says? For God so loved the world. He so loved. The word so in the Greek means in this particular way. The word so in the Greek means it is a specifically directed and a specifically impacting activity. God doesn't love the world in a very general way in this context. His love is given specifically for a specific purpose. God's love is specific in its devotion, in its purpose, in its application, and in its result. We should never consider God's love for the redemption of mankind, for the declaration of His glory, as being a kind of a general quasi kind of a thing out there that is floating around and touching folks once in a while. That's what the world thinks of God's love. It's just so wonderful that God is so loving and such a wonderful person. Because you know He's going to be accepting and understanding of all that has been wrong and will bring us all into heaven and we'll have a fine time up there when we all get to heaven. God's love is a very specific love for a very particular purpose. Secondly, God's love has a particular object in mind. For God so loved the world. You see, that's what everybody likes to hear. God loves everybody. God loves just everybody. But you see, when John uses this word world as being the particular object of God's love, the particular target of the arrow of God's love, John is not talking about God loving the world because the world is so... Wonderful and so good. Why does God love the world? Because we're worthy? Because we're so good? No. No. D.A. Carson, in his commentary on John, says this, that God's love is to be admired. It's to be admired. And here's the shocking thing of God's love. This is the scandal, or at least the beginning of it. Because you're not going to have this kind of revelation from any other religion in the world. And in fact, religions such as Islam ah, over this is vomitous to them. God's love is to be admired, not because the world is so big and includes so many people. But because the world is so bad this is the customary connotation of the word cosmos, which is the Greek of the word world. You see, God loves the world of those whom he will save for the display of his glory. And he loves his own, not because we are worth it, not because of any intrinsic value in us, but because of something in him and The scandal is that God's love is set upon us who are so nasty and vile and corrupt and filthy and anything else that you can come up with. So when you look at this word, God so loved the world, it's incorrect to assume that the world is used this way. In a number fashion, everybody. It's used in a moral fashion. In fact, the word world, when used by John, except in just one or two instances, has a negative connotation dealing with how bad and wicked the world is. John is not talking about inclusive of everyone. He's talking about moral behavior here. So you see, we can't use this word just to say, God loves everybody and God will bring everybody into heaven because He's just so loving. Now the intensity of God's love. God loves this way that He gave His only Son. You see, here it is. This is the heart of the gospel of our redemption. This is the central issue of the Bible. That, God, that God's love is so specific that He aims at a people who are so wicked. And He aims at those people through the death of His own Son. Here's the revelation of the intensity of God's love. How intense is a love that would give up that which is the very most precious, especially for something that is so vile on the other side? You see, the radical and intense love of God is obviously demonstrated in the violent death of His Son. Frank took a bunch of us to the movie house not too long ago, and we all watched The Passion. I think that's the name of it. The Passion. How many of you saw The Passion? How many of you, or us, me included, when we saw that, came to realize that the cross was worse than we had anticipated and thought before? And yet... On the cross, in a physical way, the sufferings of Jesus are not even to begin to be compared to what he suffered in himself. You see, the violent death of Jesus, not only violent when we consider the external activity of the death, because that's how we would typically think. Jesus died violently. What happened? They, they beat Him. They nailed Him. They put a spear in Him. That was violent. The violence of the death of Jesus was what He went through on the inside, incurring the mighty, violent wrath of God against Him for our sin. That's the violence that happened to Him. What happened on the outside was a picnic compared to what was going on on the inside of this great man. You see, we must see what it is. We look at the cross. It was, oh, that's... But nothing compared to what he was going through on the inside. The enormity of the violence of the anger of God. Oh, well, that's not God, what we'll see in a moment. It really is. Remember Acts 2. Peter is preaching. And he says that Jesus was delivered up by the predetermined plan and knowledge of God. God the Father put His Son on the cross. Jesus the Son actively embraced the cross. The Holy Spirit led Jesus to the cross. And so we see that the cross is the mighty God event absorbing in Himself the mighty, eternal, violent wrath and fury of an angry God against our sin in Himself to declare something about Himself through us who are the redeemed. Why is God so intense About So that he would crucify his son. I mean, what is wrong with a few problems and a few sins and some of the weaknesses? I mean, why doesn't God just chill out and get over it? I mean, come on. Other people have religions where their God understands our weaknesses. They're not that strung out over them. Why is this God like that? I mean, can't he have a little understanding that we are frail and we're weak and we have difficulties and there are problems and we just make mistakes and what's wrong with God? Or should we say, what's right with God and what's wrong with everything else? People begin to ask you about these things. Get up in their face in a nice way and smile. (laughs) And begin to share with them what's wrong with their God and what's right with our God, the God. You see, why is God so intense about to the place that he would crucify his own son His righteousness, He is intense over the display and the revelation, the maintenance, the honor, the integrity, the protection, the declaration of His righteousness in who He is, in how He is. This is the intensity of God that all creation will know Him for who He is and how He is and will know Him in absolute truth through revelation. You see, this is what is the driving force. Let's turn to Romans chapter three. What is he so intense about? His own righteousness. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. These verses probably should be read about once a month by every believer. You probably should put on your calendar, on the date, whatever, of the month, every month, read these verses. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Here it is. Whom God displayed publicly, whom He crucified as a propitiation in His blood through faith, That was to demonstrate His righteousness. Jesus died to demonstrate the righteousness of God. The rightness of who God is and how God is. Because in the forbearance of God... He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration I say, you see, Paul repeats himself. For the demonstration I say, in case you didn't get it the first time, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Now, why is God's intense love for his righteousness right why is that right? God is the only being who perfectly knows Himself. And when He, as He knows Himself, He finds that of all creation, He is the only one who is true and good and pure And having no fault. But do we see this? God being totally self known. When he surveys himself, completely, totally self known. When he sees himself, what does he see? That which is good, that which is holy, that which is without fault, that which is excellent. That which is true, that's what he sees. And when he sees that, he is delighted. He's filled with joy. He is filled with joy within himself, about himself. Listen to these words from Jonathan Edwards. The moral affection of God chiefly consists in a regard to Himself, infinitely above His regard to all other beings. Or, in other words, God's holiness consists in His delighting or His delight in Himself. Now, this should bother some of us. Hmm. God loves himself? How many of you are perfectly comfortable with that? I mean, to say God loves himself? I'm going to say this, and you just hold your seatbelt on if you don't like it. When Jesus, throughout the Gospel of John, says, I am, I am the good shepherd, I am the door, I am the way. Do you remember those? It's the word ego amy. Remember that? Ego amy. Where do we get the word? What is the word ego? How do we say it? Ego. Here you have a revelation of a man who is totally absorbed with himself. With his own goodness. With his own abilities. With his own power. With his own Relationship with the Father. This man is totally absorbed with himself. Have I said it? Have I overstated that? Is there anywhere where Jesus deprecates or puts himself down? Even when the lawyer comes to him and says, Good master, why are you calling me good? No one's good except God. You see? see? <laughs> no. When that man comes to Jesus, he is not recognizing that Jesus is the Son of God. And within that, Jesus is telling him, Don't you recognize me as just another good man on the block? Only God is good. See, Jesus is totally self-satisfied, self-delighting, self-joyful. You see, that's the revelation of the relationship within the Godhead between the Father and the Son. I just give you two short verses. But when you especially read the Gospel of John, will you be reading it within this context? The joy that Jesus has over relationship with the Father and the joy that the Father has over Jesus. Now remember, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit comprise one God. So we're talking about the community of joy, the community of love, the community of self-satisfaction, the community of delight within the Godhead. John 14, 31, I love the Father. Remember, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus loving the Father is loving himself. The Father, 520 of John, the Father loves the Son. Now, why is this so? Because it's the only right thing, it's the only right relationship. Why is it good and right? and honorable, and holy, and pure for God to delight in Himself, and love Himself, and be joyful over Himself, about Himself. Why? Because this is the truth. If God had any other consideration about Himself, He would be lying. And there is no lie in God. You see, we have problems with this, because we are so self-absorbed. We think we should love ourselves. Only God can do this because only God loving Himself and declaring Himself and being delighted within Himself and being filled with joy about Himself is true. Every other love, every other self-love is a lie. And we have struggles with this. And I think we should within a normal context. But we need to get beyond those struggles because this is the message of Jesus Christ to the world. God is love, 1 John 4, 8 says. Remember that? What does that mean? It doesn't just mean God loves that way toward us. It means first and foremost, God loves within Himself. And He shares that love. You see, to. How many of you are old enough to remember polio? I mean, you lived through those days. Come on, all the old people raise your hand. You can do that. Yeah, Gary, Gary, thank you a lot, man. Any more old people here? Every summer, what would happen? Every summer, your mom and them would tell you: don't play where? Don't play in the puddles. So what, playing in the puddles? I mean, you're not playing in the puddles all day long. Why don't play in the puddles? We're talking about in the 40s and the 50s, okay? Don't play in the puddles. What was wrong with the puddles? Because the puddles, you see, had the potential of having what? The polio virus. And if you played in the puddles, you may get polio. You know Linda L., the lady in the wheelchair? She has polio. She had polio. She still has effects of polio in her body. Man, polio. Every summer we go through the summertime fearing what? Polio. D- do you remember this? And then what happened? Some guy named Jonas what? How do you spell that? S-A-L-T or K? Jonas Salt. <laughs> <laughs> you read about this in your, 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 your history book, but this is real for me. He's sitting here, I don't remember this. Yeah, well, you know, these young kids don't remember a lot of these things, Mamas and grandmas and grandpas. And Jonas Salk came up with a, a what? A vaccination that had to be given out if you were to be protected against the virus. Do you remember that? Now, here's Jonas Salk. He has now finally developed the vaccine that can overcome... And prevent polio. But I'm not going to give it to anybody. (laughs) No way. I am going to keep this to myself, honey child. I ain't sharing it with nobody. Is Jonas Salk a loving man? Is he or not? No. If he doesn't share it. You see, if the man is a man who cares, he will share Why? Because He had that which is beneficial to us. He had that which we desperately needed. This is the same thing about the love of God. God in His infinite perfection must share Himself through creation. And not to do so would have deprived us of that which is the best and most beautiful. See, God didn't create just to have something to do on a Saturday afternoon and trying to figure out what's going on for the rest of eternity. God creates because in His infinite perfection and beauty and blessedness and holiness and truth, He is moved. He is, if you would, driven to share that with others. Because He's not a selfish God. He is a giving and blessing God. And so He creates us to be the vessels in whom and through whom His own perfection would forever be demonstrated to all creation. And so this is why we see the verses in John 15. This is why God so joyfully shares Himself with us. It's the joy that God has to share which is the best With others. And so Jesus says this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments. And abide in His love. You see, the love within the context of the community of the Godhead. These things I've spoken to you. That my joy. What joy? The joy that God has within Himself About Himself. Not just the joy of God giving us something. That's part of it. But the joy that God has within Himself, about Himself, His own perfections, His own beauty, His own holiness. That my joy, the joy that I have experienced with the Father for all eternity, now I give that joy to you. That you may experience the same kind of love and joy that is the only true love, pure love, holy love. This is the love of God. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another Just as I have loved you. And so, as we receive the love of God, the love that is in the Godhead, the love that God has for Himself over Himself, as we receive that, we are then freed from this preoccupation and morbid absorption with self and are free to begin to experience for the first time truth and purity. And godly delight, and godly freedom, and godly joy, and godliness in us. And when that happens in each one of us, we are driven by the Holy Spirit to live this way with one another. Colliding into one another, and joining with one another in the great celebration of the concert of God's love in and among us as a people of God. So that within the household of God, the love of God, the love that God has within Himself for Himself, which is the only true and pure and holy love, all other false, all other lie, that that love may be manifested in this assembly so that when the world sees how you love one another, they will know that you are my disciples because only God's love can produce God's love in God's people. We're to love God the way He loves Himself. How does He love Himself? He loves Himself wholeheartedly. Completely. There's not an ounce of non-love within God for Himself. Listen to these words from the Lord Jesus. When they ask Him about the greatest of all the commandments. Sum it up, Lord. Sum it up. What is it? What is the greatest of all the commandments? Now, you're not going to see in there you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to be along with that group, you need to give your money, you need to be Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, Islam, or whatever. Here's the great commandment. And one of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognized, and he had answered them well, asked him, meaning Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered, the greatest is this. Hear, O Israel, the great Shema. Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and thou shalt love the Lord your God. With all, with all your heart, and your soul, and your mind, and your strength. Actually, soul, mind, and strength are just definitions of heart the way the Hebrew understood the heart. And the second is likened to it, you shall love your neighbor... As you are currently loving yourself with the same intensity now, you're going to get the intensity of God's love, and that's how you're to love your neighbor. This is not a commandment to love yourselves. This is a denial of self-love, and let it be replaced with the only love that is truth, every other love being a lie. And so what happens when our love for God is not wholehearted? We fall into sin. Remember the word, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, this people honors me with the lips, but their heart is far from me. Why is God so preoccupied with the condition of our heart? Because God loves himself, is delighted over himself, is joyful over himself, is committed to his own righteousness fully. Completely, wholeheartedly. And this, when we receive the love of God, is what God does in us. And this is the way God begins to develop in us His own love. So we are to be loving God the same way. And the whole course of our relationship with God is not what you're doing, but having the, 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 the activity or the maturing of our hearts toward Him so that we daily are increasing in heartfelt, intense love for Him as He has for Himself and has shared with us. What is the result of it? Remember verse 17, for God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Whoever believes in Jesus should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. The end of verse 16. What is the result? The result is the declaration or the manifestation of God's righteous or right decision in relation to how people respond to His Son. Now here's the catch. Here's where the fuzzy feelings get fried. You see, God's right decision in relation to how we respond to his son has to do with wrath and blessing. There's only two. Two choices. Eternal wrath, eternal life. There's no purgatory around this. There's only two choices. You see, to the natural mind, wrath and love don't mix. I mean, you know, this is the problem in Christianity. You see, you people are so narrow-minded. You are so preoccupied with trying to condemn everybody. You are a mean bunch of people. You are whatever. Yet God can't be like this. This is the way He must be because His holiness demands that if He's not this way, He Himself is a liar. Don't you see? Let's not be fuzzy about God. Be strong about Him and know who He is and how He is so we can give an effective defense and live rightly as He is right. You see, since God's love is eternally right, to refuse God's love is eternally wrong. It's not an issue who, did you say a bad word or did you go to a bad movie? It's the issue of who God is and how He is as revealed and given to us in Jesus Christ. This is something we can't just kind of take or leave. This is a critical, critical issue. You see, God's righteousness demands, it requires, that He must condemn anything that is not right or He would not be right. What is wrath? Wrath is God's settled and. De- it's not a temper tantrum. Wrath is God's settled and determined, deliberate fury against all that opposes his truth, the truth about himself. All that refuses. To receive the revelation and the life of who He is within Himself, freely given to us in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The wrath of God. As eternally as God's love is, as intense as God's love is, God's wrath is as eternally intense as... there are folks in this congregation and you have lost loved ones. How many of us have lost loved ones to things like cancer and diseases? How many of us? Now, when that person was diagnosed with cancer or pneumonia, whatever it is that took the life, the person whom you love, oh, okay, we'll do what you can, you know. It's all right. Try to be really kind of calm about this, we really want to be open-minded, we don't want to get too upset, you know. we, we want to be kind of nice and polite. <laughs> Is this how you approach dealing with the issue of cancer in the body of the loved one? Or were you intensely angry and violent and desiring that anything and everything should be done in order to destroy that which was destroying the one you love? How many of you took it casually? How many of us rose up with intensity of fury against that which would harm our loved ones? Amen? Come on. Are you with me this morning? Now, if we experience a fury against anyone and anything harming our loved one, what about God who is infinitely holy and pure and right? You see, the wrath of God is the great problem with mankind. It isn't Saddam, whatever their names are, insane, and what the Al-Qaeda men and all those people. It's not Hillary Clinton. It's not anybody but the fury of a wrathful God for those who say no to who He is and how He is in Jesus Christ. Why? Because the love of God demands that He Come against with everything that he is, anything that opposes the truth. Anything else would be a lie. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. See, what we don't want to miss as believers is the double-edged sword. The sword that cuts unto eternal life or the sword that cuts unto eternal wrath. We want to see that this love of God is all about and for and from God, given to us graciously according to His predetermined will. But what are we going to do with it? Our response, reciprocity or rejection. Reciprocity means kind of, you know, agreeing with, going with it. Reciprocity, what are we going to do with this? See, what good news the gospel is. What good news God did not send His Son to condemn us. But He sent His Son that we could have eternal life. You see, all of mankind is under the judgment of God from the beginning. And the wrath of God justly rests upon all who reject. What do we mean by rejecting? I don't believe it. I don't think it's. I have another way and I'm going to put it off. I'm a member of this church. I've been doing this all my life. I'm trying to do the best I can. This is rejection of truth. And when we reject truth, there's only one way God can deal with it and will deal with it, and that's His wrath. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. As we read these, we see a little insight into the issue here. Romans 1, verse 18, And the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. No one can say, I didn't know anything about Jesus. Everyone has within him and her the evidence of the existence of God. Everyone. Everyone. For God made it evident to them, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes and His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. They should have known it by looking into the heavens, that this just did not evolve. It was made as a declaration of the mighty hand of a mighty being. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God and gave thanks, but became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. You see, their hearts, because they don't have the heart of God. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God, who He is in Himself, about Himself, the excellencies of His own person. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Amen. So for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for the women exchanged a natural function for which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned with men, committing indecent act and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over. Three giving over to a depraved mind, to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness. Righteousness being who God is, unrighteousness is the opposite. Wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedience to parent, without understanding, untruthworthy, unloving, unmerciful. That's the bottom line because God is merciful. Therefore, because of his love, he saves us. The bottom line, the bottom of the spiral is being unloving and unmerciful because you moved as far away from who God is as you can by being unmerciful and loving. And although they knew the ordinance of God and those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. This is a description of everyone who is outside of Christ. Everyone who is outside of Christ, everyone who is not saved, everyone who has not been has not been born again. Everyone is here. Everyone is here. What are we to do? What do we do? There's only one answer. You don't go to church more. You don't work more. You don't give more. You don't try more. You look at the cross. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ is God's inoculation against the virus, if you would, of sin. When we used to line up at McDonough 14 over on Jefferson Avenue to get our shots, we were receiving the only protection. That was available to us in relation to this disease. There was no other way. No matter what we did, no matter what we thought, no matter where we lived, no matter what race we were, no matter anything, we had to receive the inoculation in order to be protected against the disease. It's a very narrow thing. But you see, truth is always the most narrow thing. And yet, yet, truth is the only thing that brings life and freedom. And so we lined up and we got our shots. And then we went back the next years and got our booster shots and so on. So all the old people have these little old things on their arms because it shows that we got our polio shots. What are we to do? If this morning you're sitting here and you realize, I have not surrendered to this God. May I say this to you? You should be sweating. You should be sweating because you're under the holy, eternal, never-ending, unceasing, having no hope ever of the fury and anger and wrath of God against you for having said no to believing and receiving Jesus Christ because you're living a lie and you're declaring that God is a liar and you can live life another way. God is a liar. Be quaking this morning. Be shaking. Be worried. Not if, but when you die you will be cast away. And you say, Well, why do you preach that, preacher? You're trying to frighten me. Yes! If it took me looking at a picture of a poor crippled person to frighten me to getting the shot, thank God that I was frightened to get the shot. Believe that Jesus is the Lord who has paid the full wrath of God, it is finished paid for john 19 30 paid for fully believe that jesus is now moving in your heart through your desire to be saved from the wrath of god if you are feeling a desire a wanting i want to be protected i want to escape i don't want to die forever i want to be forgiven i want to become a child of god that is the love of god loving you into his kingdom He's loving you unto Himself through what you are feeling and experiencing this morning. It's a drawing power of God. Believe that Jesus is calling you to surrender yourself to Him, to His forgiveness and to His leadership. bow our heads. If you are believing this, believing, you're feeling it. You're believing with your mind, but also with your body. Your body, your mind is telling you that I have to have this. There's no way I can leave here without having this. I don't want to take a chance. I may get run over out there. I don't want to face the wrath of God on that day. It's not a gamble. It's a certainty. If you're feeling this, The fear of the wrath, but then the desire of the love. The fear of the wrath, but then the desire of the love. If this is what you're feeling, it's God saying, I'm bringing you into my kingdom. Will you say yes and will you take my hand as we walk together into my kingdom? This morning, if this is where you are, Would you say yes to God by just standing where you are and declaring that I am saying yes to God to receive the gift of Himself, His own love, and to escape the wrath of God? Anyone here this morning is God doing that kind of a work in your heart this morning? Well, wait a few moments. Don't take a chance there is no chance there is a certainty of the wrath of God as certain as the love of God is the wrath of God and as certain as the wrath of God is the love of God they go together they go together the love is offered but then the wrath is given when the love is rejected And God is right. He has to do it because of who He is. We'll wait another moment. Is there anyone that you say, Today, I must be born again. I feel the tugging power of God. I felt it before, but today is the day. Because the Lord says, I will not always strive with a man's heart. One day I'll say, I'm not coming back. And you never want that to happen. If God is striving, receive it by standing this morning. I will assume that everyone is a child of God this morning, and because of that, let's stand and rejoice as Eric leaves us in a close.